welcome to Directly from the Source, a Chandler podcast, where we share insights about Chandler and explore issues impacting our community with experts that are addressing them. I'm your host, Matt Burdick. Thanks for tapping in today as we talk about governance and what does it mean to be a city and some of the functions and roles of a city. We'll also mention the functions of the many other governing bodies that serve Chandler residents. Joining me today is Chandler's City Attorney Kelly Schwab and our Strategic Initiatives Director Ryan Peters. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thank you, Matt. This is exciting. Absolutely. Kelly, let's let's talk a little bit about the role of a city attorney, just to give people background about what that entails. So as the city attorney, my job is to provide legal advice to the mayor and city council, as well as all the departments throughout the city. So we're involved in everything from employment issues to uh, land use development, giving advice on what do our ordinances require if someone wants to come in and develop their property and how do we go about doing that. We give advice on contracts. We help draft contracts, development agreements, intergovernmental agreements. But probably a significant part of my job is to talk to the mayor and council about what laws apply in Chandler, what the council can do, probably more importantly, what the council cannot do, as we are a city. We are, our powers are given to us by the state legislature. So we don't have unlimited powers. We have different jurisdictions and authorities, and we have to respect those and respect other governments and their authorities. Ryan, strategic initiatives for our audience. Explain a little bit about what your role entails. All right. Thank you, Matt. Um, Strategic initiatives includes a lot of different functions. Uh, Primarily, I focus on advocacy at the state legislature, as well as among other uh, levels of government, like um, other municipalities and uh, the the federal government. Uh, We work really closely with uh, municipalities throughout the state, as well as here in Maricopa County, to basically advocate on behalf of the city and council, or the, 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 the city. Um, at the direction of the mayor and council and and with the city manager. I work closely with other departments um, and and understand their policy goals and and objectives as I'm advocating at at the Capitol. Um, We also have the Transportation Policy Division, which includes uh, long-range transportation planning and uh, all the transit operations in the city. Uh, We also manage the bike and pedestrian uh, capital program as well as planning. And then we have the ADA coordinator in the division as well that uh, works with city departments for ADA compliance as well as residents on understanding if there's any uh, 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 grievances or anything that need to be cured within the city. And then for our our listeners, again, if you're familiar with Flex as a transit program, that's one of the programs that originates out of uh, Ryan's shop. A really innovative idea of ways to get people around our community. So kudos to you on that and your team on that because that's been a great uh, service that's been brought forth to our community. Yeah, I appreciate you adding that. And one, one other quick note I wanted to add is we, we do a lot of high-profile negotiations within the city as well. So um, things like working on uh, agreements for undergrounding of utility lines, we I work directly on that. Items such as uh, telecommunications licenses, so bringing new service connectivity to the city, we, we do that as well. Yep. And I know we've had some new fiber licenses that uh, council has approved, so your internet speeds and everything is going to be continuing to improve around the city of Chandler. So let's dive a little bit more on uh, the governance topic here. A lot of people may not r- realize that cities really are political subdivisions of the state. And Kelly, as you alluded to, our powers and authorities are granted to us through a state constitution and through the, the state legislative process. So let's start with the constitution and describe a little bit about the formation and purpose of the constitution. 
I'm happy to do that, Matt. Arizona was declared a state on February 14, 1912. That was our Valentine's Day present. But that started back with the Enabling Act of 1910, which applied to both Arizona and New Mexico. And that Enabling Act dictated what should be included in the Arizona Constitution. It also called for the formation of a constitutional convention, which included the governor of the territory, the chief justice, the secretary of the territory, and 52 delegates chosen territory-wide, which were submitted to the voters for approval. And they came together and formed the Arizona Constitution. And the Enabling Act actually dictated what was to be included in our Constitution. And the first thing was religious freedom. That was the first protection they wanted in the Constitution. They also included things like a ban on plural marriages. And they prohibited the introduction of liquor and the sale of liquor into Indian countries, and that was forever prohibited. Kind of a fascinating history there. Obviously, that has been alleviated over the years, especially with the casino developments in the um, reservation lands. It also set forth that we had to create our public school system, and that would be funded through our state trust land. It protected federal and reservation land and designated Phoenix as the state capital. That constitution was drafted, submitted to the voters for ratification, and then approved by the U.S. President and our Congress, and that's when Arizona became a state. The city of Chandler followed up pretty quickly after that and became incorporated on February 26, 1920. And our city charter was approved on February 5th, 1965 by the voters. And what's interesting about a charter is that is a document similar to the Constitution for the state. It's really the Constitution for the city, and it designates and limits the powers of the Marion City Council on things they can do. In our charter, it designates the powers of the city council, city manager, create a creation of various administrative departments, including the city attorney position, regulates finance and taxation, allows for the creation of various boards and commissions, and very particularly, it governs how the process for the nomination and election of our mayor and city council, and it sets term limits. So our mayor and city council members can run for two terms of four years each, and then they have to take a four-year break before they can come back. And Matt, I think it's an interesting uh early establishment of this, this trajectory that the state of Arizona had, had really uh, uh, set on when, uh, I believe this is correct, when we were trying to get our constitution approved by the federal government, they actually wanted us to strike um, some initiative and referendum rules. And then we did that and then quickly ratified them back into our constitution, ensure that there's uh, preservation of that uh, because we really do have this independent spirit. And then also an extension of that is I believe that the, the, the council manager form of government here as well as a respect of local government was really established early on in our state's history as well with this idea that the people uh, closest to their government know best or the government closest to the people know, know best and know how to interact. And so that was also a, a, a fascinating you know, start to the state. Absolutely. And we're going to dive a little bit more into that term local control. Kelly, I think again for elaborating a little bit on the history behind the formation of our state and, and explaining what a charter is. And a lot of people may not realize that we're, you know, cities are really a municipal corporation. It's spelled out, like you said, in the Constitution. 
But let's talk a little bit more about the responsibilities of a city and some of the things you elaborated, I think, to begin with in terms of the charter. And Ryan, obviously, in terms of uh, your role, in terms of interacting with all the different government agencies that you interact with, I'll ask you to chime in as well. But Kelly, maybe you can elaborate a little bit on the policymaking roles of a, of a city. It's, it's very interesting in that cities and towns are truly a creature of uh, state constitution and state legislature. So we only have the powers that are implied or explicitly stated. So we have the power to create roads and a roadway system. We have the power to tax our residents to support those improvements. We can establish libraries. Um, We can hire people to maintain parks, maintain our roads to to do that type of work. We can create laws that protect the city from deteriorating, nuisance laws where people have to maintain their property. And if they don't, the city is allowed to step in and, and abate those nuisances. So those are the things that we're allowed to do. The whole goal of the mayor and council is to set the policy. How do we want our city to develop? How do we want it to operate? And they kind of operate at the 30,000 foot level, and then we as staff take that, implement it. That comes through the creation of the capital improvement program. What are we going to build in our city to help our residents have a great life, like our beautiful park systems, our libraries, um, improving roadways, establishing a trail system, providing for water and sewer service? So one of the things I really enjoy about working at the local government level is we are the government that gets the work done with the services the residents really need. I want to make sure when I turn on my tap that water flows out. So I think it is exciting for not only the mayor and council, but for staff that we're the ones that are making things happen on our residents' day-to-day lives. And then, Ryan, there's a number of other political subdivisions or governing bodies who have elected officials or a role representing Chandler. So let's talk a little bit about those organizations and uh, how you as a representative of the city interface with those. The counties come to mind first and foremost. They're also creations of the state and in a lot of ways are a lot more restricted um, than uh, municipal governments. Um, we do interact with the county uh, quite often. Uh, they're primarily responsible for like air quality. They run a, a jail district and then they do other um, uh, countywide taxing items like the you know, transportation tax and, and things like that. We also have uh, regional planning and transportation agencies. There are some governing roles and responsibilities of these like such as MAG or RPTA which uh, oversee kind of the financing and the planning of transportation projects in the city. RPTA primarily provides transit service. Our interaction with them is obviously to uh, talk about our desires for our transit and transportation networks here in the city. Um, and they, they do have some other governing responsibilities that uh, the, the board of directors is made up of the mayors of the uh, respective cities from around the valley. And each policy item that, that comes to them, they can implement a program based off of that. So it's really our role as staff to work with our elected officials as well as work with the agency to advocate and represent Chandler's interests and make sure that when things go in front of the board, all of the viewpoints have been heard and considered. Um, There's also a number of school districts um, here in the city of Chandler and and throughout the state. Their governing boards are elected um, from the citizens and they're carved up by district boundaries and ultimately all school decisions are made by that, that governing board. Um, while the city strives to have a partnership and we work closely with our school districts of, of areas of mutual interest, ultimately their governing board is responsible for 
their schools and our governing board, our city council is responsible for, for our decisions and they're completely independent of each other other than these key strategic partnerships that we voluntarily uh, decide to go into. And I think that's an important point because I think a lot of people think a city has influence over the school district and, and they are two both in terms of how we're spelled out in the state constitution, we're two independent governing bodies. We have two independent functions and roles. And so when you hear Channel Unified School District, that is a, a governing uh, body that we coordinate with, like you said. But the city itself does not have any authority or jurisdiction over the decisions that a school district or, or a school board makes. And so thank you for pointing that out. And if I can just follow up on Ryan's comments, in that Arizona, like many states, have a number of different political subdivisions of the state. Everything from irrigation districts to water conservation districts, schools, counties, and then ultimately the state and then the federal government. And we're all bound by the laws that are adopted at the state level and the federal level as to what what is within our jurisdiction and what we have control over and what we do not have control over. And we have to work together because there's a lot of overlap in our boundaries and a lot of projects that impact many different political subdivisions. An extension of that is we also have power and water providers, um, whether it's APS and SRP, uh, the Central Arizona Project, uh, their uh, Roosevelt Water Conservation District, they each also have their own governing bodies. While APS is actually a private corporation that's overseen by the, the Corporation Commission, which is another elected body um, statewide, um, SRP is actually a municipal corporation, um, and, and they provide both power and water. And then CAP was established um, when they brought the Central Arizona Project Canal uh, to the valley, and um, SRP and CAP actually have some, I don't necessarily want to say they report to, but the Bureau of Reclamation at the federal level has a major influence over their decision-making of what they do with their, their lands that have been given to them in trust, um, yeah. and, and then they have finance responsibilities associated with that, and so they have their own rates and fees and, and then sometimes uh, taxes that go to help uh, fund the, the activities of these, these uh, other entities. And you mentioned both uh, CAP and, and uh, SRP being municipal corporations. So that that's a maybe a different way of thinking of that when people see a, a power line corridor or see a canal corridor to recognize that essentially they're linear cities. Absolutely, Matt. They are, again, creations of our state statutes, and they are specifically authorized to bring in water to the cities. The Salt River Project has our reservoir systems and is tasked with managing our water supply through Maricopa County and other areas, and they have specific authority under state law to do that, and we have to work in conjunction with them, but we do not have any authority to tell them what to do with the water or how are they going to manage their canals. We have to work in partnership. Yeah, and, and as, a, as a listener, I'd probably hear like, oh, wow, there's, there's so many different layers of government. It's, and I wonder it's impossible to, to navigate through. And, and I'd say this is actually a, a benefit in a lot of ways in that you have uh, more responsive and specialized governance uh, throughout the state. And so if you have a utility issue, you, you actually have direct election of the utility uh, board of directors um, in SRP's case, where and you can have that relationship if you don't like the general direction of, of the entity, you can have some influence over it, where if it was all governed with the same select 
they'd be so diluted with the number of issues they have to cover, there's not going to really be any chance to develop any expertise or conversely from the resident standpoint, influence over over the decision making of those of those agencies. Absolutely. No, that's a great point. I know we, you know, last fall we had a lot of uh, elections that took place and a, a lot of people look at their ballot and say, boy, who are all these people and all these different offices? But it's really important to, to understand the role and functions of the various offices that these individuals are, are running for. And like you said, if there is a direction that you either like or don't like, that you have the ability to influence that by getting to know and getting engaged in those respective election processes. So let's let's talk a little bit more in the state legislature's in session and talk a little bit more about the state governing bodies that we interface with. And Kelly, you alluded to it, that we have to adhere to Arizona law. Let's kind of go back to basic civics in terms of at the state level, you have an executive branch, a legislative branch, and a judicial branch. So let's maybe start there in terms of our interaction or oversight that those different areas may have on a city. Absolutely. There's much of what our day job is during this time of year is interacting with the state legislature and the governor's office and trying to ensure that our interests as a municipality are represented. Uh, We work closely with our other departments who we consider the experts in their respective areas to understand the implications of different legislative proposals. Um, We work closely with the city attorney's office to understand the nuances of a particular policy proposal, and then also try to figure out if there's legislative language that we can add or delete that makes something much more palatable. Unfortunately, this year's legislature, and it's been a growing trend, really been hostile to municipal interests. Um, And so we spent a lot of time educating. That's how we advocate. We advocate with with information and data. You know, that's really ultimately the key. We're not influencing with money. Um, There's there's no campaign donations that are made. It's just it's it's prohibited. And plus, we found it's actually more effective to just arm our legislators with information. Sometimes they disagree. There's a lot of different advocacy groups at the Capitol, and they all have their different interests. And sometimes it's just a fundamental ideological or philosophical disagreement. But at the end of the day, we provide the information that they use to to ultimately uh, make their vote. And from a relationship standpoint, not only do we establish our own relationships with legislators as, as staff, but we also encourage our mayor and council to get to know their legislators. And sometimes the nature of the conversations are different when it's elected official to elected official. They, the legislators tend to listen in, in a different type of way. And again, they, they may disagree at the end of the day, but ultimately we're just trying to amplify our message. So with the governor's office, uh, we do have uh, a new governor and, and I'll back up with the legislature. We also have a, a large number of new legislators who have never been in that office before and a very split margin in both the House and the Senate where the the House has 60 representatives and 31 of those are Republican and 29 of those are Democrats and the Senate has 30 representatives where 16 are Republican and 14 are Democrats and the governor is a Democrat. So these these branches of government have to figure out a way to work together and a lot of our early strategizing is just first of all we need to figure out what the personality of the legislature is going to look like and how they're going to govern because they still have responsibilities per the constitution like getting a budget passed if they don't come to terms on a budget by june 30th then state government ceases to operate in most instances and that's not very popular among the voters so the governor and these legislators are kind of feeling each other out as far as uh, working with each other 
So we work closely with these members. Um, they're from different parties. Uh, one is uh, one district is all Democrats, and the other district is a, a blend of Democrats and Republicans. And then the third district is all Republicans. So it's really Chandler's a unique um, city in that we really represent the entire state and our demographics and our, our political uh, desires. And there's a lot of issues right now. We talked about local control, so I'll ask you to maybe elaborate a little bit about a few of the key issues and then some of the proposals and, and implications they can have in terms of our ability to govern. Local control is one of our core tenants that we visit with the city council on every uh, fall. Uh, we get a, a list of legislative priorities and, and general principles that we want to adhere to as we're evaluating different pieces of legislation. And that's really the, the policy making side of the city where they're giving staff direction on what they generally would like to see out of our advocacy. And local control and uh, preserving local revenues are those key core tenants. Um, we also uh, talk about issues like uh, you know public safety and land use planning and, and other items like that. But again, the, the, they're, they're colored by the local control aspect of it. And so some major bills that we're focusing on this year uh, have to do with land use planning. There is a proposal that would effectively give developers all, nearly limitless rights when it comes to uh, land use planning. And as you know, and Kelly mentioned earlier, the land use planning is a key component that uh, city councils are responsible for. And so what we had envisioned for our built-out city that includes a lot of employment, if this bill were to pass into law, those underlying land uses could be vacated and replaced with multifamily products or really whatever the builder wants, wants to do. If I can in just interject on that. Local control on zoning, that is something that is really uniquely locally controlled. We have a general plan that we have to revisit every 10 years, which maps out how we want our city to grow and develop and where we want employment and where we want residential and, and all those different things located. That doesn't go just through the mayor and council. That also goes to the voters for approval. So that to me is like the ultimate local control. Our voters vote on that plan. And then the zoning laws to implement the, the general plan, we do that through our zoning laws, which we have our own zoning code. We're authorized under Title IX of the state statute. So when you start taking that away, it is something that I think is really near and dear to the mayor and, and council's heart that the plan approved by our voters that we have the opportunity to preserve that plan and to develop the way they intended. Because like yeah. I say, there's a lot of potential unintended consequences. Yeah. Well, I would Take argue they're intended consequences, <laughs> um, to be honest with you. But in reality, like, this, this tenant of local control, and we'll just continue with land use planning, is it's really just to respect the will of the voters. And when the voters elect a city council, they're are elected to represent their values in most cases, and that is implemented and represented at these decision-making uh, meetings where we have a city council meeting and there's a, a land use case. And we want to ensure that the public has opportunity to participate and contribute to see you know, just how they would like their community to materialize. Undermining that principle you know, it really uh, is a threat to not only the residents, but also the city council and their ability to represent those residents. Absolutely. And, and we, like I say, I know in Chandler we've done a really good job. We have a 
previous podcasts that uh, Micah and, uh, and Kevin Mayo talked about employment corridors. And a lot of uh, those employment corridors, if this law was in place, probably wouldn't have come to fruition. Yeah, absolutely. And and an extension of, of that could be, you know, in worse traffic, right? If we all have to commute to certain parts of the valley because other parts develop into just residential uh, corridors, then all of a sudden we have underbuilt uh, transportation corridors. So the implications are a lot more than just, you know, putting new product on the market. We absolutely want more product, housing product on the market um, because we need to have our workforce here within in, in Chandler if they, if they so choose. Um, but we need to do that in a smart, measured way with the input of the community along the way. Uh, Matt, I'll also touch on some other local decision-making uh, items. And, and if you think about the city of Chandler, it's both a corporation and it's also a community. And so, you know, as we look at the legislature, we want to you know, really evaluate each piece of legislation through both lenses. And, you know, as they, as legislature proposes things like home-based business regulation um, or preemption, so cities can no longer uh, be responsible for home-based business decisions or uh, backyard chickens, um, legislature wants to preempt that and now have it be statewide. And, you know, it, it largely mirrors our, our process, but it just goes to show that we heard input from our residents and then ultimately voted in the affirmative to um, implement uh, backyard chickens. But when you do it at the state level, it totally dismisses all of that input. Well, thank you for sharing that again. One of the other things is in terms of any any revenue-related implications, are there things that could impact our ability to serve our community? Bills at the, at the legislature that you're looking at? Absolutely. Every year there is. Um, and and it's, it's a frustrating fight because, as you can imagine, we, we make long-range budget decisions based off of projected revenues and, and our overall fiscal uh, policies. City Council has held for decades that we want to be the lowest tax rate in the in the state and have a very efficient government based off of um, low tax collections so there's not as much of a burden to the taxpayers and there's also a desire to provide services and so we have to really find that balancing act and unfortunately the legislature uh, sometimes comes up with legislative proposals that undermine our local revenues and to almost no impact to their own bottom line so they get the the political victory of, of, of doing away with some revenue category. And then our local officials have to deal with the blowback of either raising uh, the overall tax rate to make up for those revenues or cutting popular services and, and making tough decisions when it comes to that. So, you know, we, we advocate at the legislature. Uh, currently, we're, we're fighting a bill that would uh, eliminate uh, food taxes. Um, it hasn't passed out of the legislature yet, but one that has and is on the governor's desk has been uh, uh, eliminating residential rental taxes, and these are these are key revenue categories. and And w- we understand that the argument that they're making is trying to you know, provide some tax relief. And we've argued that there's more effective ways to do that without taking away these vital revenue sources from the city. Which, um, when you add them all up, between uh, food tax and residential rental and some uh, additional corporate income tax cuts and then other items that are kind of in the stratosphere. It's it's a 40-plus million dollar hit to the city of Chandler, which is a significant sum of money. Our council, as well as our taxpayers and, and residents, are um, looking at to provide the services that they've grown accustomed to. 
I think that's one of the challenges for our residents. Coming to a city council meeting and expressing your opinion is very easy. We meet two times a month. Uh, we usually have at least four meetings a month. And they can come down and walk right into council chambers, submit a speaker card, and, and address the council on anything within the jurisdiction of the city. But I think sometimes residents are frustrated with the way the state government may be operating or even the federal government. They want to voice their frustrations. It's hard to go to Congress. It's even hard to go to our state legislature. But it is really easy to come down to the council chambers and talk to our mayor and city council. And that's a great thing. And the mayor and city council want to hear from the residents. They take those comments very seriously. But sometimes that's where I have to interject at the council meeting and say, this is beyond the jurisdiction of the city. That control has been taken away or we were never given it by the state. And that can be frustrating for a resident to hear that because they want to voice their opinions and they want something done about it. But we can't always address those concerns. The ones we can locally, like backyard chickens, like Ryan talked about, the council went through a very public process, took a lot of input, and now you can have chickens in your backyard in Chandler. Well, thank you both. That was an excellent point to be able to explain, you know, some of the nuances of the different layers of government. And like you mentioned, the, res the responsiveness that a local council can have to the will of the voters. We'll be going through, you referenced the general plan earlier, we'll be going through a, a general plan update process. That is something that's uh, spelled out in statute. We have to do it every 10 years. That's correct. So in the next couple of years, we'll have a, a general plan process that'll be kicking off and a chance for Chandler voters to weigh in again of what they'd like to see their city become in the future. So that is a guidebook that um, both of you alluded to in terms of the uh, decisions that it helps to frame from a land use standpoint, identifying where we want certain types of development, whether that's employment, industrial, office-type developments, or whether that's residential, either single-family or multifamily or other types of developments that might come in the future. So uh, thank you both for taking the time today, and thank you for learning more about governing the city uh, directly from the source. As you've heard, there's also many other governing bodies serving Chandler residents, too, so I ask you to reach out and engage with those individuals as it relates to our schools and our energy sources and our water and our county and all the other areas that are um, involved in influencing our day-to-day -day lives. And make sure to check out Voices of Chandler podcast as they share Chandler stories. If you have topics you'd like to hear about on a future podcast, message us on social media or at chandleraz.gov. Be great, Chandler. <laughs>